I thank Kurt for trusting me to be here. He's been casting a wonderful vision that I've been able to live for the past, well, since I was 16. I won't tell you how long that's been. No, I'm 64. I'm glad of every year of it. But I've been living since I was 16. I've seen that shadow, that long shadow. In fact, it, it extends all the way to, as Kurt said, to Phoenix, Arizona. But I thank you for trusting me to kind of add a little bit to that if I can this morning. I did over 500 funerals since my daddy's been gone. I think about that. It'll be 20 years this January. I've done over 500 funerals in less than 20 years. Now, I've only done about 50 weddings. So I finally figured out what the deal is. People don't trust me until they're dead. <laughs> I mean, how else can you figure it? But I want to share a passage with you, a couple passages this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to it with me. And if you don't, then we'll, we'll read it for you, hopefully. Hopefully, we might have to change glass. But it's in Ecclesiastes, probably about a little further than halfway through the Old Testament. But uh, if you could turn and find that, I, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, Solomon was a, a student of wisdom which he had much. He was a student of pleasure, of which he had much. He was a student of, well, I tell you what, he was Bill Gates on steroids. He had everything that you could ever want or desire. He had it. And he gets down to this book of wisdom here called Ecclesiastes, and he makes a couple of statements here. And it's in the, I'd like for us to read verse 8, and then we'll go down to verse 13. But chapter 12, verse 8 says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. And then verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Do what he tells you. For however long we have on this earth, it's the whole duty of man. In the Message Bible, that verse 8, it says, It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. And if, I, if the Message Bible had asked me, to, I'd added, It's smoke and mirrors. The world sells us a bill of goods. The world is always, every advertisement, every magazine, every news program, they sell us a bill of goods that we can find it if we can just get enough of things in this old world. If we can just get enough of that cash, if we can just get enough, if we can just get that, we, but it's all smoke. It's all smoke and mirrors. And I want to talk to you just a few minutes this morning about a shadow, a long shadow. Kurt said, tell, said, a lot of people there don't know the story of your daddy. So I'm real brief. I'm going to, I didn't have it in my notes because I figured everybody most would know. But I want to tell you that in 1957, a young fireman was at Central Fire Station on Main Street. He had, my daddy fought in the Olympic trials. My uncle was a national Golden Gloves champion, fought professionally, fought in Madison Square Garden, beat the world welterweight champion. 
and they, boxing was very big in their life growing up. They lived about 20 miles outside of town, and this black gentleman would give my dad and my uncle rides to the boys' club about 20 miles away so they could go and box, and they both ended up being accomplished fighters. In 1957, my dad's probably 24, 25 years old, just got on the fire department, and they're integrating Central High School. And the troops that President Eisenhower had called out because of all the turmoil were, was coming by the fire station heading to Central. And my dad and the other firemen, I'm guessing six or seven of them, it was Central Fire Station, biggest fire station in the city, they were outside hollering, kill them, don't let them in our schools, we'll get our, we'll get our guns, just doing what bigots do. And he looked down the street and he saw this black gentleman who used to give him and his brother, when they were teenagers, rides to the boys' club, walking toward the fire department. So my dad thought, well, I'll turn my back to him. He'll walk on past, and it'll all be over. Mr. Lipkin walked past Daddy, made a U-turn, walked up, stuck his hand out, and said, Mr. Paul. Daddy saw the fireman looking. He put his hands in his back pocket and stood there until Jimmy took his hand down, walked away. My daddy called me, told me, not called me, called my mother, told her what he did. I was five years old. Said he'd never do it again, that he was wrong. Changed his mind. Twelve years later, he met a man named Jesus who changed his heart. And so Friendly Chapel is a church in North Rock for 47 years because as, a, as an ex-professional fighter and fireman who had a, probably a third or fourth grade education, God told him to do something. He said, start a church where everybody's welcome. If you don't think in 1969, 1970 in Little Rock, Arkansas, to start a church where you're going to go pick up little black kids in a neighborhood and bring them to that church, it ain't going to be something noticed. And about five years after he started the church, our district superintendent took him out to eat, invited him, said, Paul, don't you think God's calling you to preach? He did everything but preach. He mowed the grass. He cleaned the bathrooms. He picked kids up. He took them home. He brought them to our house. They spent the night. So that did everything but preach. But anyway, he was our pastor for 25 years. So it's that man I'm going to be talking about. My mother is still alive. She's 83 years old, has Alzheimer's. You can tell a certain story, she'll remember daddy. But usually she don't. Usually she's trying to figure out who I am. That's a tough one. It's a tough one. But God used my dad and my mother to really change the city and to cast a long shadow that, that now cast all the way to Phoenix, Arizona, and some, in some ways all around this country. It really does. But the world sells us a bill of good. It tells us if we can get enough, enough of them bills in the back of that thing right there, we'll be happy. No, you won't. Or you might be happy for a little while. You know, you think you get a Mercedes, you'll be happy. Mercedes never made nobody happy. You think you get you, uh, uh, one of them Chevy sports cars, you'd be happy. Chevy sports car ain't never made nobody happy. You think you get, Ford's made a lot of people unhappy. But you, <laughs> the world sells us a bill of goods. If, we can get the, if I can just get this, if I can just get that, if I can just have enough money saved up, then I'll, I'll find what I'm looking for. No, you won't. That's what, the, that's what the wise man's talking about here. It's smoke. It's smoke and mirrors. The world is selling us a bill of goods. I... I preached a sermon about, oh, probably three months ago. Had it, did not have it in my notes. Had no plan to say it. Don't know, didn't know when I said it, why I said it. 
But out of the blue, I said, the world would consider me a total failure. Total. I ain't got no money. I live in the same house for 50 years in the hood. Daddy built it when I was nine years old. I've lived there 50 of my 64 years in that one house. I don't have a lot of stuff. We got two cars. Both of them was given to us. Although they're miracles. They're, I wish I had time to tell that story. The one my wife driving right now. My high, one of my high school buddies gave it to me. But the world would consider me a total failure. And I didn't know why I said that, but I said it. And then I went on. Later that night, I'm out walking the dog, because she won't do it. I'm out walking the dog. <laughs> now, buddy, God talks to me through that right there. I've never heard his voice, but he does speak to my spirit. But most of the time, he speaks to me through this right here. And if you're not in that, he, he has a hard time getting your attention. But he speaks to me through his word. But every once in a while, he'll just speak something to my spirit. And so I said, I made a statement. I'm out walking the dog. And all of a sudden, in my spirit, just as clear if I did hear a voice, I'm going to tell you who a success is, Paul. A success. And I've never heard anybody say this. It may not be too wise in your eyes, but for me it was. He said, a success is a man whose kids think he hung the moon. And his grandkids know he did. Because then when you tell them who did hang the moon, they're listening. That's a success. Buddy, we would have listened to my daddy because we saw the change in his life. And we thought he hung the moon. And his grandkids knew he hung the moon. And so it was easy for him to lead us to the one who changed everything in his life. We believed in Jesus right away because we saw him in our dad and our mom's life and the change that it made in their life. I'm sitting at a dinner. They invited me, the Lions Club invited me to speak at, and tell them about the fish fry. We have a big fish fry that supports our soup kitchen and shelter and helps us to help our community. And so I was, going, I was there to tell them about the fish fry. Well, I'm sitting with four, four guys that do not know me, they didn't introduce themselves to me. I didn't introduce myself to them. One of them is a very famous politician. I bet people here would know him. And he's carrying the conversation, as politicians normally do. And he starts talking about a friend of mine, a friend of my dad's, named Dave Parr. I've got a picture in my office of Dave Parr in the, in the, in the White House office with, uh, with President Johnson. I've got a picture of him with President Nixon. He was the head of the milk industry for the United States. And uh, Dave, they start talking about my friend Dave Parr, who was my daddy's such good friend, who went to prison over a little bit to do with Watergate, but is over price fixing in the milk industry, got saved, found Jesus in prison, became one of the most dynamic, totally different. You know, we need all kinds of different people in, in God's work. We don't need another brother Paul. We just need you to be the best you can be and be who you are where he planted you to be. Dave was, he was, a, he was a different personality, man. He, I probably talked to him a hundred times. He never one time said goodbye. Never one time said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. He just would state whatever the business was and he'd hang up. <laughs> he was on to the next call. He was special. But in, in the conversation, these four men talking about Dave, 
One of them says, yeah, you know, he went to prison and he lost everything. And that politician pulled his chair up, straightened himself up, and he looked that guy in the eye and said, are you telling me that man ain't got money? Are you telling me he don't have money? Boy, you could just feed it like, if he don't have money, why am I having anything to do with him? And the guy said, oh, no, 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 no. He, he came back good. He came back strong. Yeah, he's, he's, he's well off. And the politician relaxed and sat back. And boy, it just really, so about a few minutes went on by, and I said, you know, I sure have enjoyed having lunch with y'all. I said, I'm probably the wealthiest man y'all have ever had lunch with. And all of them set up. And I said, my daddy left me an inheritance that would embarrass most people. And boy, they were, I, they were listening. And I said, but my daddy left me no money. He left me no vehicles, left me no property, left me no stocks and bonds. I said, but my daddy left me an example of how to love and how to give and how to live. And I'm the wealthiest person I've ever met. And that politician looked like I hit him right between the eyes with a two by four because he could hear his conversation. And I wasn't doing it to try to really, I just saw an opportunity to do what I'm doing right now to tell you that the final conclusion is to respect God, to fear God, to do what he tells you to do. That is bigger than any, anything else that we might be presented in this short little time that we spend on this old earth. And that when we leave here, we leave a shadow, a long shadow. My dad cast a long shadow. It's why I'm here right now 20 years after he left. Because the conclusion of the whole matter is my daddy lived his life for Jesus and for others. Solomon had it all. Listen to him. The, the, the shadow caster, Paul Holderfield Sr., sure did. He was praying one day up there. My dad lived in the church, hardest worker I've ever known. Worked two and three jobs, usually all of his life. And he's living in the church, him and mama, in the church. I'm living in the house he built, the only one he ever built. A little place they bought out in the country, my brother's living in it. Little trailer they moved in when they put my brother in there. Somebody else lived in it. Two or three other people lived in it until it couldn't probably make it no more. And they're living in the church. He's praying one night and he gets up from his prayer and he says, Mama, how much money we got in the bank? What's our life savings? And she told him. And he said, Go pull it all out except for $1,000. Leave 1000 in there. Pull the rest of it out. I'm going to divide it between Paul and Paula and Philip. And I'm going to watch him enjoy it while I'm alive. And he did. I paid off the little house that I've been in all these years with what he watched me enjoy. I told that story to about 75 men one Thursday morning. A few months later, I'm over to see my friend Dan Bartell at the bank. I'm ready. To, I'm leaving. I'm, in fact, I'm just about gone. He said, hey, Paul, come back here. I said, what, Dan? He goes, come back here. So I go back. He says, come in my office just a minute. He said, you remember that telling us about your dad taking the money out and dividing it between his kids so he could watch them enjoy it while he was alive? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you have no idea how wise that is. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, see those folders over there? And there was folders about shoulder high off the ground. He said, I deal with probate. He said, out of those folders represent about 150 men who all died wealthy. He said, out of those 150 families that I'm dealing with, I would say five of them are just fine and getting along and loving each other. He said, the rest of them, they're in court. They're fighting. They hate each other because they think somebody's going to get a $5 bill they don't get. He said, if those men had known what their life's work was going to amount to, they'd have done what your daddy did. They'd have took the money, divided it between their kids, and watched them enjoy it while they're alive, and it wouldn't be around for them to fight over after they're gone. The occlusion of the whole matter is fear God, respect God, do what he tells you to do. My daddy did what he told him to do. Kurt and I were talking just the other day, right over here in this little room over here, talking about sharing the Great Commission. It's what he told us to do. In the last part of Matthew 28, he gives us a command. He says, go and tell them, teach them, baptize them. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And so I got to thinking... We had a men's breakfast, and man, I wish, I wish every one of you could have been there. There was probably about 90 of us that day, the, the, the day before the one I'm going to tell you about. And I said, next week we're having Judge John Ward. If any of you have ever been in the Gideons, you may recognize that name. He was the international president for the Gideons for many years. Most distinguished-looking guy you've ever seen in your life. I guess he's probably 80 now. Every hair he had on his head at 16 is still on his head, except for they're all silver. Dresses much like me, not like Kurt. <laughs> I mean, he's special, man. So I said, he's going to be here next Thursday, and I just blurted out, we're going to have 130 guys here, which would be about 40 more than we had that, that day. Don't know really why I said it. Next Thursday, he showed up. Ben texted me while it, I normally don't have my phone on, but he texted me. About the end of Judge Ward's talk, he said 128. I thought, man, I wonder why I said 130. About an hour after it was over, he'd mention, he, I, forgot to, I forgot to count myself, 129. I thought, man, just one. So I told that story. I told this to the Sunday, I told that story to my congregation. I said, y'all now have a false prophet. I said, I missed it by one. <laughs> Two things happened. One guy came up with tears in his eyes after church and said, you're not a false prophet. I, told him, I left the house, told my wife I was coming, and I didn't go. And I said, oh, I was saying that just to be comical. I said, don't take that. Don't. He said, no, I was supposed to be there. And he walked away, and a homeless man walked up. And he said, Brother Paul, is there or is there not a passage where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am? I said, yes, there he is. He said, there's 130. <laughs> so I text Judge Ward, and I told, him, I told him that story. And my friend Judge Ward texts back, Paul, isn't that amazing? It took a homeless man to teach us professional slow learners. <laughs> 
that we should always count him first. I loved it. When Judge Ward was speaking to us that day, oh man, one of the best 20-minute sermons I've ever heard in my life. He told a story that when he was in Jacksonville, he's been all around the world as a Gideon president. But he said in Jacksonville, Arkansas, about 15 miles from us, he spoke and a lady came up at a church and she said, Judge Ward, this is my daddy's card and he's lost. And I don't know if anybody could really speak to him, but I think you could. And would you call him? He said, I stuck it in my pocket. I put it on my desk and I walked by it for a week. And one day after about a week, I looked at it and said, I can't walk past that car another time. So I picked up the phone. I called this. He was the owner of one of the largest construction companies in Arkansas. He said, I called this man who has his business over off 65th Street. And I said, this is Judge John Ward. Uh, and I just wanted to know if I, could, if I could just talk to you, sir. He said, when you want to talk to me? He said, whenever you say, sir. He said, how about 3 o'clock today? He said, I'll be there. He said, on the way to his office, he said, I started thinking, how would I kind of, what would I talk about, and how would I kind of get to know him a little bit? And he said, I had a, in my courtroom, I had a case going on that was it, it involved the construction business. He said, I thought I could visit with him about the construction case, and that would kind of get us on the same page, and we're talking. And he said, so I planned it all out. He said, I go and knock on his door. Come in. He said, I walked in and walked into the room, the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. He said, sit down. He said, I sat down and kept sitting down. I'm looking, looking up at him. Now, what is it? Sir, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? He said, that guy got up and kept getting up. Walked around his desk. He said, I thought he was coming to get me. Walked around his desk. Walked past me. Walked over to a side door off of his office. Knocked on the door. A gentleman about 60 years old, little bitty guy, opens the door. Earl, you know what this fella just asked me? No, sir. He asked me if I died today, would I go to heaven or hell? And Earl said, well, what did you tell him? He said, within a minute, those two men, that little bitty guy and that mammoth of the man, were on their knees in the corner of that office crying like babies. He said, I just stood there for a minute. I just turned around and I left. <laughs> he said, I got in my car and I started heading home. And he didn't say it was an audible voice. It was the same little voice in his spirit that I talked about earlier in mine. He said, but something said... John, I just want you to open your mouth. I'll do the work. My daddy spent his life, and more than even opening his mouth, just being, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk me than merely show the way, for the eye is a better student. It's far more willing than the ear. Fine counseling is confusing, but example, it's always clear. And the best of all the Christians are the men who live the creed. To see the good in action, that's what we all need. 
Now, my eyes can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And I can soon learn to do it if you'd let me see it done. And those examples that you give me, all they may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my example by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you in that high advice you give. But, brother, there is no misunderstanding of how I act and how I live. His life spoke louder than even those words. But he just wants us to be available and just to tell the story. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a business owner, if you're a computer whiz, if you're a respected leader in the community, if you're, if you're a salesman, it's a closer. It doesn't matter what you do. Your talent is not your reason to be the, a great salesman, a great closer. Your talent is your excuse to be there. The reason you're there is to be a light. Your reason to be there is to cast a long shadow and to make a difference where you are, where God has planted you. I always say that Friendly Chapels, our job is to make it very difficult for people who are in our community to go to hell. We're going to keep telling the story. We're going to keep trying to be a sermon scene to make it very difficult. Not James Dodson, uh, D. James Kennedy. I think he was Presbyterian, but a great pastor. Wrote a little poem called A Letter from Hell. And this is what he wrote. If I can remember it. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, our tears. A friend to me you were indeed, a friend who helped in my need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We shared a trust that should endure. No spats between us ever arose. Our friends were like, and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all you weren't so kind. All those years we spent on earth, you never once spoke of second birth. You never spoke of my poor lost soul or of the Christ who could have made me whole. So I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. Not one single thing you can say to help or hurt me. No words today my soul to free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for the souls of men. And tell our friends of Jesus quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. We're here to be a sermon scene, to just open our mouth. He'll do the work. Lo, I am with you always. Just be available. And if we will be, we'll cast a long shadow. It's why 107 people are on their way back. They're still on their way back. Are on their way back from Southern Nazarene University as we have service. 107 people in our church at Southern Nazarene University this week. Why? We're casting shadows, man. We pay for every... It's wonderful that y'all be able to get people to contribute for the trip. And if you can't, then you'll try to help them out. But most of the people on that trip... They're trying to keep the lights on, man. They're trying to figure if they're going to have enough food to make it till the 30th of the month. 
So we pay for everything they eat. We pay for entrance fee. We pay for the hotel. We pay for everything that happens for entertainment. We pay it all. Have done it for 40 years. Some of you will say, how are we going to do that this year? And he'll step up and say, because I'm going to make it happen. That's how. We're casting shadows. That's why they're headed back right now as we have service. It's why we have a soup kitchen. We're casting shadows of God's love that he's given and, and, and shed in our heart. We want to share it with our community. Now, I'm fixing to close, but I, got, I had a little girl this, this year. I had a couple things happen this year. She and her boyfriend were living out in the woods. They'd come and they'd ate some good chili. And uh, she said, Brother Paul, our blankets got wet. You wouldn't have any blankets, would you? I said, yeah, I got some blankets. I said, I'll meet y'all around front. I went to get the blankets. They were gone. Man, I was just sick. So I went outside. I said, Debbie, I said, I don't. I said, I'm just sick. I said, I thought I had some. I said, somewhere, they've got away from me. I said, I don't have them. And I said, I just hate that. She said, oh, don't worry about it, Brother Paul. I said, no, I hate it. I said, y'all ain't got nothing. And she walked about two steps and got right in my face, and she looked me right in the eye, and she said, we got you. You can work a long time on that statement. I get it most talking now. We got you casting shadows. In 30 years, feeding folks that have mental problems, they got uh, anger issues, they, their, their mind's gone, they're on some type of drugs, whatever might force people out and be, end up on the street. You're dealing with just everything. In 30 years, I've never had to call the police. I could count on both hands. Maybe I might have to use my toes. Anytime we've ever had anybody even get mad. Kurt saw it one time, but he wasn't in the soup kitchen. But I, that's one of, the, one of the probably 10 or 15 times I've ever even had anybody really get like, boy, this could go south here, you know. Years ago, I had a guy stand up right in the middle of the soup kitchen, full house. Y'all don't feed us. And I thought, oh, boy, I got me a live one. <laughs> and I went over, and he put his arm around my shoulder, and he whispered in my ear, y'all spoil us. Worked a long time on that one, too. But this past year, a guy got mad. He thought Rob had gave him a smaller piece of chicken. And so he said a few choice words, threw his chicken down on the floor. And so I went over. I said, no, don't act that way. And I said, you know, you're welcome here, but you're only welcome as, as you let everybody else enjoy their meal. And he said something pretty choice. You let it, I go, you let it, it works out real good. But this day it didn't. I said, come on, you I said, you got to, you got to leave. And he got up and walked him out the door. I said, let me pray. He let me pray with him. It surprised me. I said, you know, tomorrow will be a better day. And he left. And I went back to that table. And I said, man, I hate that happened. I said, y'all enjoy your meal. I said, you know, but hey, every one of us has done things and said things that we wish we hadn't said or done. And this big old dude who I'd never seen before and have never seen since, I don't even know how he... I didn't know him. He stands up. Yeah, we have, but we try to make sure it don't happen here. I'm just like, wow. I'm standing there with tears rolling down my cheek. I don't even know how he knows about here. I don't recognize him. Casting shadows.
living our life for something bigger than ourselves. You know, be a success. Your kids think you hung the moon, and your grandkids know you did. I'm gonna share one, one little story, and I'm through. Can you put that picture up? Her name is Paula. No way you can tell from a picture, but if I can just take a couple minutes to tell you, she is one special lady. I have a special Paula. She's my sister. She's right up there with my sis. Paula is homeless. She usually wears two or three layers of clothing, even in the summertime, because that's summertime right there. And I don't know if you can tell, but she's got on at least two layers of clothing there. She's just special. I've never seen her in a bad mood. Might be 100 degrees, 105, she's in a good mood. Might be 15 degrees, she's still in a good mood. She's special. Usually doesn't talk a whole lot. Always smiling. So one day she shows up and she brings me this. Mama, I really never thought about this, but I'd really like that to be in my casket. I really would. So if you outlive me, I'd like for you to slide that in my casket. She showed up one day and she had, she'd gotten this, now I've retied it. She had it tied in a real pretty ribbon. It's just a piece of, almost like a piece of cloth. But she had it tied up like that, except for a lot more prettier. I said, Paula, thank you. So I took it off. Opened it up and it was, I don't know if you can see it, but that's a picture of a little boy putting his, putting his money in the Sunday school plate. And then there's one, the preacher preaching. Really pretty portraits. I don't know where she got them. And then the last one, I think, is Josiah or somebody there leading the, <laughs> leading the singing. Come to think of it, he's dressed better than Josiah, too. He's like... <laughs> Beautiful pictures. And then I saw that on the back of one of them, my friend Paula had shared her heart with me. It says, July the 7th, 2016, Wednesday morning, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Dear Brother Paul, his image in you. Thank you for feeding, dressing, clothing me. You help me a lot. Live when it seemed to be nothing for me. You let you gave me a friendly spot to rest to get to chit-chat with others that have some things in common with me. I have eyeglasses from your store. Yes, you have truly helped me to see. Thank you for breathing and for your loving good.
worth a million dollars to me. I would, I'm in a wealthy, I'm in Beverly Hills for the chapel. There might be somebody that comes up, I don't believe you. I'll give you a million dollars if you'll just give me that and let me burn it. Keep your money. here very long and that when we leave here this world our kids and our grandkids will join us in a place called heaven because they trusted us they thought we hung the moon but we knew who did and so we got to share it with them I'm going to ask you if you'd stand this morning he's put his finger on anything on your heart this morning if by chance you're here and you don't know him I want to remind you that he's he's here where two or three are gathered there he is he's here but I want to ask you if if there's anything that's keeping you from being and going all the way with Jesus that you might cast that long shadow that this morning you might come and my daddy did a illustration one time in Missouri and I was with him I was going through a divorce my wife had left me I've been married to Kathy 34 years God took something that we broke fixed it made it gave me something man I wrote her a note this morning how lost I'd be without her, but I won't really be lost. The only thing that'll get me up in the morning is him because he found me. When they sang that song and put that little verse up where I said, look at there, Mama. But he said, Bub, won't you go with me? He knew I was hurting. So I spent a whole week with my daddy, just me and him and the revival. And on the last night of the revival, he said, a little boy got his hand stuck in a vase. Couldn't get it out. His mama said, got to get it out. She poured oil over it, couldn't get it out. She said, twist it, couldn't get it out. His hand started turning, his wrist started turning blue. She said, son, it's a $5,000 vase, I'm about to break it. Get your hand out. Try it again, couldn't get it out. Took a hammer, broke a $5,000 vase, and when she did, he had his hand in a fist. And she said, son, please tell me you did not have your... He said, yes, mama. If I had opened it, I would have dropped my little brown penny. And Daddy said, Sir, whatever you're holding on to to keep you from going all the way with Jesus, when you stand out in eternity and you stand before God, it's going to look smaller than that penny, I guarantee you. And so if there's something that you want to... A Supreme Court judge came to the altar that morning, and Daddy went down to pray with him. He wouldn't mind me telling this. And Judge Davis, my Daddy said, What are you praying about? He said, I'm laying down my little brown penny. He said, I don't mind telling you what it is. It's women. And I'm going to be the husband I'm supposed to be from this day forward. And he has been for these last 35 years. Still talk to him. Whatever it might be that keep you from going all the way with Jesus, I pray we can pray about it this morning. Because he's here. And he'll hear our prayer. And we can lay our brown penny down and not pick it up. 
In 35 years, somebody may be telling your story. Father, I thank you that you're always available. And I thank you that you're calling right now. At Friend of Chapel, I, ain't, I hadn't even opened my eyes, but at Friend of Chapel, I hardly ever am praying that I don't finish the prayer of what there's, there's several people gathered around these altars. And so if someone starts moving, that's just fine. But I pray that if he has, if you put your finger on anything and there's something we ought to pray about, that we would come and we would talk to you about it because you're here. He's here because we gathered in his name. And I pray that we'll leave here different and changed and in the casting shadows business. And our family's going to reap our commitment to do the way you said do it. So thank you, Father, for talking to us. Now the group's going to sing a little song, and I pray anywhere during that song, may he draw you to him. And we'll just talk to him about it. Kurt will probably come and pray for us, close us out. But we're going to talk to you about it. And so we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Would you come, sir, ma'am? Let's pray before we leave here.